Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and welcome again to a new episode of Exponential Wisdom. That's wisdom about living in a world where everything is changing, transforming, being disrupted in exponential ways. And I've got the person that I think is the greatest technological scout in the world, that certainly the one that I know is Peter Diamandis. It's always such a pleasure to reconnect every six weeks or so, Peter, and see you in your workshop, because if you're looking for evidence that things are changing exponentially, your eyes will see it and your ears will hear it. A hundred percent. Good to see you, Dan. And uh, it is, as I say to everybody who will listen, it's the most exciting time ever to be alive. There is, you know, moonshots, opportunities, uplifting of humanity, it really is only time more exciting than today is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about today? Well, just something that I'm zeroing in because the bulk of my world clients, and we're now 36 countries now, we have hundreds of clients now who know us in the strategic coach only virtually. The day before yesterday, I had just a two-hour connector call and I had Perth, Australia, I had Da Nang, Vietnam, I had Singapore, I had Lahore in Pakistan, and I had Mumbai in India. And they were just saying, just checking in, seeing how you're doing, but we've never actually met them. We've actually never met these people in person. But you've limited it to this planet, though, I understand. I did do that. I did do that, yeah. All the right, marketing for off-planet, you know, it's a little harder. Big thing, and it's a major shift, and it's a permanent shift is now the moving of supply chains for North America back to North America or Western Hemisphere. And the evidence I'll put out, just a couple. I have a client in Guatemala, big, big textile company, 2,500 workers. Another one on the board of directors and an owner, a big textile factory in Colombia. And they were telling me they can't believe what's happened over the last year where you know, they really had to do heavy marketing. They do private label marketing for big American manufacturing sportswear. And they said they've always had to really market heavily. And for the last 10 months, he said, all we have to do is respond to our emails. All we have to do is make sure that we actually respond to our calls because North American clients are saying, we're moving all of our supply chains from Southeast Asia, particularly back to the Western Hemisphere, and we just want to know what we can do with you. And they each of them has two ports. They have an Atlantic port and a Pacific port. Colombia has both. And then they both have the Gulf of Mexico. So they have three bodies of waters that they can ship north in. And I believe that it's all guesses and bets, you know, that I'm talking about here. So, you know, I think that you're just guessing and you're betting on certain of your guesses. But I would say that fundamentally the history of the Eastern Hemisphere, which has been mostly world history, is coming to an end. And that the history of the world going forward is going to be in the Western Hemisphere. So that's so, that's, so that's a, All right. I hear you. Let me add to that a little bit in the following way. So let's talk about that shift in global supply chain, because I think we are basically onshoring. You know, companies got scared out of their minds when they couldn't get their computer chips, they couldn't get their materials, their pharmaceuticals, their fabrics, and so forth. And it's like, we can't have our future in the hands of supply chains that we don't own. So that wake-up call is definitely, and by the way, one of the shifts there is going to be 
moving towards 3D manufacturing locally as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. But at the same time that we're onshoring the supply chain, I think we're increasing the rate at which we're offshoring our talent acquisition and our customer acquisition, which is an interesting balancing act. So cognitive assets are moving offshore. Mm -hmm. So with Zoom and... Yeah, they're moving offshore, but the offshore talent is actually working on things in North America. Yes, Yes, but the physical locations of, yeah. of people that I'm connecting with on Zoom and on Slack or whatever your mm -hmm. favorite multitasking tools are might be in the Philippines and in India. You know, it almost doesn't matter if they're willing to work on your time frame. And it's a cost of living arbitrage, meaning, you know, in Toronto or New York, a great marketing executive might be making hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. But if they're from the Philippines, 30000 could be an amazing salary for them. So let's talk about the supply chain. So what is the supply chain? It is where the item you need as an entrepreneur originates, where it's manufactured, maybe where it's stored, and then you pay for global transportation costs. A lot of the supply chain has been out of Asia because labor rates are low. And obviously, COVID put a massive dent in that universe. Mm -hmm. What examples do you have of onshoring right now? Well, I think the big thing is that, first of all, North America reconfigures itself. Canada, I'm afraid, is kind of like the slow country here. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they've really adjusted yet that there's a new world going on. Mexico is totally integrated with the United States. There's no separation between the Mexican economy and American economy. And just to use your buddy who used to be at Amazon, who's now at Rebuild Manufacturing, there's going to be two tiers to onshore re-engineering. One of them is going to be still low-cost labor in Mexico, and the other one is going to be high-skill, robot-enabled, AI-enabled skill in the United States, and it's going to be in the middle. It's not going to be on the coast. It's going to be between the Rockies and the basically the Allegheny Mountains, you know, about 1,500 miles. First of all, it's the best agricultural land in the entire world, hmm. but it's the best internal transportation system in the world. You got the best. The Mississippi. Yeah. The Mississippi is 87 rivers, and they all flow in the same direction, and they're all navigable. And that's the biggest railroad system yes. in the world. Then you have the interstate highway system, which is the biggest, most interconnected road system in the world. And, you know, I was talking to your friend Richard with Verijet, and he said, yeah, Richard know, Kane. Yeah. yeah, he said, our jet can fly into 5,400 airports in the United States, we can land. And he said, they're all being upgraded, they're putting in, you know, the electronics that they need, they're putting in the lighting they need, they're paving and everything like that. Yeah, by the way, just so people know, when you're flying commercial, there are typically, I think, 29 airports that service like 95% of all air traffic, LAX, JFK, O'Hare, the ones that you know of, right, DFW. But as Dan said, there are 5,400 small airports, you know, 3,000 foot, 3,500 foot, 5,000 foot that can't accommodate these commercial jetliners. But there's a brand new generation of aircraft and Verijet is an Uber-like service, V-E-R-I-J-E-T, you can easily look it up, where you can call an airplane on demand with no repositioning costs. Like I live in Santa Monica, and I would normally fly commercially out of LAX, but there's a beautiful little Santa Monica airport with 
no wait time, no traffic, no nothing that I can fly out of instead. So, yeah. You know, the ideal that I was talking to Richard was 500 miles. He said 500 mile trips, you know, are kind of ideal because you don't have to land and refuel. But they'll have that vast network. And the big shift, I think, you know, it'll take 25 years for the full significance of this to appear out of real good research, sociological research, economic research. But there's been a fundamental, maybe third most important shift in the way that people work and where people live that's taken place over the last two years. Okay. But people still need to get to places fast, you know. So you can live at your favorite sort of vacation resort area. You can do business on virtual, whichever platform you use. But certain places you have to travel and you have to travel. And before that would require the inconvenience of two or three hours to get to a major, one of the majors that you talked about. And now it's not necessarily, it's 10 minutes away from your home. There's no waiting, you check in. You're not taking 10 tons of luggage with you. You're taking an overnight bag or you're taking a, you know, a briefcase and you're there, you know. It's a beautiful system and you know there's gonna be heavy competition in this area because it's gonna be so needed. Yeah. So if you're in the manufacturing business right now, or if you're a company that has been impacted by the COVID manufacturing supply chain snafu, you're looking at, I mean, there's a problem. And when we as entrepreneurs see the word problem, we see the word opportunity Opportunity. or goldmine or whatever. And so other people's bad news is our good news. Yes, 100%. So I think like you said, we're going to be going to Mexico, Central America for labor, and they're going to be increased better transport and relationships making that possible. But there's also going to be, you said, AI human collaboration, robot human collaboration, where a human in the loop with the right AI or robot can do the work of 10 individuals before, and that is reducing the labor costs. So there's that. And then finally, I think we're starting to see 3D manufacturing, additive manufacturing come into its own where closed cycle supply chains where, you know, like one of my friends, Garrett Gerson, who makes these incredible masks, they're beautiful and they're comfortable and they're all made out of recycled uh, plastic bottles. Mm -hmm. So I think that's coming. We're just beginning to see the entrance of 3D manufacturing and robotics into the supply chain now. Just to follow up on one of the great learning experiences that Babs and I had in my life was the five days that we spent with you guiding us, you know, with the cutting edge science and technology related to life extension and age reversal, and then the transformation of all the research into disease with the understanding that aging is the disease and it comes in different forms, but the people who are working on it are all communicating with each other now. And the other thing is, I mean, talk about an exponential multiplier that we've experienced in the last three years is the application of AI to testing, lab testing, where the same time to do one test three years ago, you might be able to do 10,000 comparative tests in the same time period right now. And it's all done digitally. There's, you know, you're not using chemicals, you're just using the digital representation of various cures. 
And what you see there, I just wanted to say this because I just got the feel about what you showed us over those five days that I got in 1972, 73, and I was starting to read articles in various publications about this new thing called the microchip, you know, and this is a new thing, you know, and people were saying, this is one of the most fundamental transformations that has ever happened to human, you know, to human industry, to human creativity. And over the next 50 years, well, we're almost at the 50 year mark, this is going to turn everything on its head. And I said, I kind of feel like we're living in a world right now where everything's been turned on its head. And I feel the same thing about regenerative medicine. I think regenerative medicine, first of all, it's of keen interest to all 8 billion human beings. It is. If it's offered, I mean, if it's available, it's of keen interest to 8 billion human beings. And there isn't any other tech, maybe electricity, but I mean, we have a billion and a half people on the planet who don't have electricity, you know. Yeah. You know, so that's coming fast. But the two are allied to each other. The regenerative medicine requires a lot of electricity. And we're seeing, again, onshoring of a lot of this. And the United States right now remains sort of the leading nation. We see two clusters of extraordinary talent, you know, and a lot of this is concentration of talent. It's density of talent. And that's in the Boston-Cambridge corridor and the San Francisco-San Diego corridor. Let's talk about the second implication of the pandemic besides the onshoring supply chain, which is talent acquisition. So before COVID, I, perhaps like you, like many other, I had my offices. I you know, had my PhD ventures, my core management team office inside of, of XPRIZE, uh, beautiful offices in Culver City, or did have it. We just gave them up and going virtual. And when I'd hire someone, I always wanted to hire someone local because I wanted them in the office where I could see them all the time and run into them and so forth. Now, my team is really fully virtualized. I've got players hundreds and thousands of miles from Santa Monica where I am. But I'm also now hiring outside the U.S., Mm -hmm. in the Philippines, in India, on-demand, virtualized labor, and full-time people who have agreed to work on Pacific time Mm -hmm. work hours. Mm -hmm. How about you? Well, we're planning to go back different times, different schedules for people. You know, going back from virtual is 10 times more complicated than going to virtual. (laughs) (laughs) It took us three days to go completely virtual. We have 120 team members. We're in three countries in about five locations. So we were used to communicating by Zoom over the five years before, but now we've been, you know, it's more than a year and a half. And out of the 120, I've seen six of them over the last year and a half in person, you know. I'm fine with it. I have to tell you, I mean, I waited 76 years for this. (laughs) So I said it was worth the wait, you know. Uh, They say, don't you get exhausted? I said, what's there to get exhausted about? I said, anywhere in the world, three clicks. I said, you know, even on our trip, which was beautifully organized and beautifully conducted, there were about five times during the trip, you know, flying to Boston, you know, going up to Manchester, you know, going to Morristown and then going to the city and then coming back. And I said, I can't believe I used to put up with this. I can't believe I used to put up with this. So, you know, I just got a request to go and speak in Saudi Arabia. 
you know, a huge amount of money being offered. And it's like, wow, do I really want to get on an airplane and fly to Saudi Arabia, right? It's just, I look at travel very differently right now. Yeah. Yeah, I always said the airlines had this wonderful, timeless marketing strategy that they could really stick to. It was called, we're not happy until you're not happy. Yes, I love that. That's the same policy for the FAA and the FDA and all the government agencies. But what I'm saying is they haven't changed with all the change. They're still making it unpleasant. And, you know, in a certain sense, the golden age for them Golden age in the sense that this was a romantic, this is a big deal that you could go for. I think that's completely gone. It's out of necessity. It's now a necessary thing, might be a necessary thing, but it's sure not an enjoyable thing. The other thing that's coming that's going to impact all of this is the metaverse. Again, metaverse is, I define it as high resolution VR and AR. Mm -hmm. And Apple and Microsoft and Facebook with Zuckerberg's vision of becoming the metaverse company is going to accelerate this. And instead of a 2D screen, like you and I are on right now on Zoom, having this conversation, we're going to go into a virtual room mm-hmm. where you might be sitting on a comfy sofa and I'm sitting on, on my chair and we're like, you know, in a fireside chat, but I feel like I'm there, you feel like I'm there. Mm-hmm. And then our AI is listening and I can say, hey, Dan, check out this graph from this morning. And the AI knows what I'm speaking about. It pops it up on the wall. We can both see it. Mm-hmm. And this virtual world is automagical. And we have our team meetings in there, our recruiting meetings in there. And that experience is where we're heading faster than any time ever before. My kids do this in Roblox right now. They're in this virtual game world. And it's just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, and uh, this is not known to many people, you know, and I'll say, what's the biggest sport in the world? You know, and they'll say, well, you know, soccer, football, basketball, you know, everybody's got their own choice. And I said, no, it's online gaming is by far. I mean, sports, you you could take all the other sports and add them together. It's not as big as online gaming. Yeah. There are talented, talented 19 year olds who are pulling down seven figure incomes, you know, partially just because of prize money and competition money. But a lot of it is that they're just inventing things. They're creating new games. You know, it was very funny. There's a story about Nikita Khrushchev when he was head of Russia, and he made a trip to the United States, and first stop was New York, and they decided to go just for a walk, you know, with Secret Service and everything, and they went by a game arcade, you know, the old game arcades. Yeah, I remember the quarter machines, yeah. Yeah, and he says, what's this? He said, there's just kids hanging out there, and he walked in, and there were about 100 game sites you know, you had a couple, two, three people on each game site. And he said, what are they doing? He said, they're competing with each other on the game sites. And a lot of them were war games. They were like jets shooting down jets. And Nikita, he wrote this in his memoirs. You know, I mean, it was a good enough in Russia that he actually died naturally. <laughs> so he went back to the, and he sat down with his generals and he said, we're toast. Those are all jet pilots. He says, they're training their jet pilots as a game. <laughs> you know, the science fiction story Ender's Game. Remember the last Starfighter? Remember the movie? Yeah, the remember last the yeah, sure. They put games all over the world to recruit off-planet yeah. talent to see who they could pull into their armed forces. 
By the way, that's a great idea for entrepreneurs to figure out. If you have something that you can measure, how do you gamify it and have people apply by playing the game and have fun? I've always thought when someone's looking for a job, there should be a site you go and you play 50 games, like the game of being a nurse or the game of being an educator. And as you climb your levels in the game, if you get to the top 100, oh, yeah. top 100 spots, get a job automatically, right? Yeah. Well, you know, Gord, I don't do hiring at coach, you know, because I'm a salesperson. Salespeople aren't really good people to have hiring, you know, because you treat it like a sale. You know, he he said yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I resemble that remark. (laughs) No, no. I mean, you want poker players. I mean, you want people who are poker players to to do the hiring, you know, they don't even move a facial muscle. But anyway, we had three people who applied and they qualified. I don't see them until round five. I don't think I saw Gord. I mean, we have lots of screening, but Gord was the only one who actually listened to my podcast. Yeah. Two of them didn't. They said, no, we, we love podcasting. We're passionate about it, but they didn't even actually listen to my podcast. And Gord came in And he had all sorts of questions about particular episodes that we did on exponential wisdom and, you know, with Joe Polish and with everything. And he said, boy, these are really fascinating. But I've got some questions about what you and Peter talked about. And I said, boy, you know. Awesome. If you could gamify that level of interest and commitment, that would be really good. Yeah. Well, that's why Greg and I appreciate Gord. So the other thing, of course, besides onshoring supply chain and hiring talent offshore is the globalization of the marketplace, which is happening, right? We're seeing Starlink deploy globally. We're seeing- By the way, right over our cottage up north, we've got the best Starlink coverage nice. in the world. It goes right over our what cottage. Speed, what speed are you getting, by the way, on Starlink? Do you know? Of course, now you're asking me what kind of speed Yeah, well, next time, just go to- I'm sorry, my security clearance does not go that high. Okay, well, you can actually test it on something like speed.net and so forth. Anyway, long story short, every single person on the planet is being connected to. So how do you find your customer outside of North America, South America? You know, Abundance 360 now, I have a global virtual membership where people Mm -hmm. can participate fully. I do five three-hour workshops every year. I just finished one this morning on the top 10 meta trends. Um, And it was great. We had people from a dozen countries, from Middle East, from South Africa, from Netherlands, from Europe. I guess Netherlands is in Europe, South and Central America. And it's like we're all in the same room having one conversation. And I know you've done incredibly well on Coach. Well, this is the number two sales year out of the last 15, you know, and it's all virtual. I mean, all of our marketing is virtual. All our workshops for a year and a half have been virtual. Our new program, which is never in person, you know, we're almost at 600 at the end of 12 months, and they love it. They love it. And, you know, it's really interesting. We still have a third of our clients who refuse to come to a Zoom workshop. They haven't Mm. come back from the layoff. And I said, you know, the train may have left the station by the time you get comfortable again. But the new people love it. You know, they just love it. And you really realize how much travel has been a sacrifice that people had to overcome. Yeah, I hear you. So as we wrap this podcast, just to summarize, look for opportunities to onshore your supply chain. If you're a 
you know, manufacturer looking for onshore companies, there's going to be a lot of competition that will supply you your materials, your finished products and so forth. If you're able to, you know, this is again, fraught with opportunity yeah. to create an onshore capability wherever you are in Europe, in the U.S. Yeah. Look for top talent outside the U.S. because you can get a five or 10x value creation on this geographic arbitrage. Find somebody at a fifth of your normal salary. It's amazing for them. They're at the top of their pay scale, but it's super valuable for you. And then finally, every company needs to be looking at how do I go global with my customer base? Every company. Yeah, just one fact, you know, that should alert people. So back in the late summer, we had an incident in the Suez Canal where uh, the biggest freighter in the world accidentally or otherwise got turned sideways and it stopped the canal for six days and it upset global supply chains by six weeks, that one incident of six days. Wow. Wow. And the Egyptian police are being very, very resistant to having any investigations into how it happened. <laughs> Interesting. And I want to say, who were the winners out of that incident? <laughs> you know, follow the money. You know, somebody huh. somebody lost a lot of money, but somebody made a lot of money, you know. Yeah. So that's just one incident. I mean, that's just a single incident of what a stopgap, what a choke point a canal system is. And that's why... My Guatemala, they have Pacific, they don't have to use the Panama Canal, you know, so I think that's, yeah, I mean, a new world, you know, and humans have been very adjustable, very adaptive. When they know they have no incentive, they oftentimes improve quickly. (laughs) Yeah. You know, in this exponential age, every year is bringing more opportunity than the year before. And when you see this global pandemic happen, it just means there's opportunity for reinventing it, Mm -hmm. making supply chains more efficient. And it's extraordinary. I mean, you have to think with an abundance mindset of, yeah, I know it's a problem for some people, but oh my God, what a great opportunity for the rest of us. Yeah. 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 Mindset. Yeah. Mindset. All about mindset. All right, buddy. This was fun. 